Costa Rica is one of my favorite places on earth. Beautiful does not do it or its people justice. The country is small, but it is one of the most biodiverse areas in the world. It's a mix of mountains and coast, rainforest and plains, volcanoes and valleys. You're on a beautifully paved road one minute and on a rutted dirt road the next. The country is also only one of the countries in the world with no military. I have visited Costa Rica six times. We have been mostly to participate or lead yoga retreats. No matter your reasoning for visiting, the moment your plane touches down, you feel an instant feeling of ease. Our Costa Rica beans from Hacienda Astul were the very first ones that I ever roasted, so they hold a very special place in my heart. I'm very excited to welcome Eric Charvel, the Managing Director at Buena Nota Imports. The goal of Buena Nota Imports is to bring fine quality cacao to makers like myself, while also making sure to better the lives of the farmers in areas where cacao is grown. So we have Eric on the podcast today. Eric, welcome to Ohm Travelers. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Oh, it's absolutely a pleasure to have you. So where are you located right now? I'm located in San Jose. Okay. Costa Rica. And so I, yeah, go, yeah ahead. go ahead. No, I, I spend uh, part of my year here in Costa Rica and the other half of my year I'm in Chicago. Not bad places to be for six months out of the year each place. No, I'm very lucky, especially because <laughs> I spend the winters down here and the summers up in Chicago. Very well timed. So can you sort of paint the picture? I, I'd like to start on a large kind of zoomed out level and then we can slowly move in. But can you paint a picture for the people that are listening of the country of Costa Rica and kind of the country as a whole, and then zooming in as you go to give a picture of where the farm is located, maybe even San Jose, because it is sort of a historic capital uh, for the country of Costa Rica. Yeah, sure. I'm happy to. So my, wow, (laughs) now I'm going to get emotional because my experience with Costa Rica is started about 12 years ago, let's see, it was the, it was, it was December of 2009, going into the new year when I was invited down here by a friend of mine and to go to the beach with her and also meet up with some of her Costa Rican friends and some other friends of ours from, uh, from Holland. So previous to that, I'd always been interested in Costa Rica, but more like Oh, wow, what a cool name. Costa Rica must be very beautiful. I imagine lots of greenery, monkeys, you know, things like that, and uh, beaches. So needless to say, Costa Rica not only has all of that, but it also has volcanoes, thermal springs that run like rivers, and even rivers that run blue up in the north, because of all the volcanic activity that they have in this area. Oh, wow. So, yeah, there's a place where the river literally is blue from sulfur. And you can go swim in it. It's very cool. Um, So I came down here, and we went to the beaches up in the north called Guanacaste. And uh, I showed up after all my other friends had shown up. And um, we went to the Samara Beach which is in the north, which is one of the big popular beaches up north. And uh, 
I met my wife, Thea, at that time. Oh, wow. While you were up there on the beach or just with a group of friends on the trip? Uh, she was friends with my friend. She, she was Costa Rican, or she is Costa Rican, but previously she had lived in Chicago for about six months. So she met my friend, Christina, and uh, Christina invited her to the beach. And uh, as soon as I met her, I knew there was something there. <laughs> oh, wow. That's incredible. What a great story. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, we spent a week. We spent, I spent about 10 days in Costa Rica, maybe a little bit less that first time. And we stayed at the beach. And then we went up to the mountains to a place called La Fortuna where they have, which is another volcano. And it's like it's the Arenal volcano. And out of the side of this volcano, they have multiple rivers of hot volcanic water that comes out of the volcano, like literally rivers. And you can go to these areas where you, where they've sort of, I don't know. If, yeah. They've sort of dominated, not dominated the river, but they've created areas where it's safe to go in. You obviously pay to go into these spas, but it's a completely natural spa of hot flowing water from this river. Oh, or wow. you can go outside of them and go in the river directly if you want. It's still pretty warm. That's so crazy. We went, yeah, we went there. And from there, the, I left. I took a, a bus back by myself to San Jose to catch my flight back to Chicago. And we just drove over this incredible mountainous terrain of, it went from thick sort of, you know, lush, verdant uh, forest down by Adenal. And then you work yourself up to sort of to the very top where there is a cloud forest and it's sort of fields, more grassland where they have, cows and a milking industry up there but just these beautiful green expansive mountains that go on pretty much for as far as you can see mm. and you better not be a car sick person because <laughs> the roads are twisty tiny they're horrible but they're wonderful yeah i so my primary experience with costa rica is on the pacific side so um mainly nosara so kind of in the central yeah. part of guanacast and then down uh on the osa peninsula um, so like the Puerto Jimenez area down that way. And yeah, I don't have too much familiarity with the Caribbean side. So that's, I'd like to, you know, as we transition into talking about the farm itself, hear more about that. But I know from my experiences, it is, it's the Costa Rican country has, um, merged such a symbiotic relationship with nature as far as, um, respecting it. And so you'll be just, you know, walking down a road and then there's monkeys climbing over you or you'll see an armadillo walking through the brush or, you know, just things that you hear about that most people will only see in a zoo, maybe, unfortunately, that just exist kind of everywhere in Costa Rica. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, uh, I'll never forget the first time that P and I went to Puerto Viejo, which is on the Caribbean side. And we stayed in sort of a glamping type situation. And I remember just waking up from a dead sleep at like four o'clock in the morning to hear that, to the, to the yelling of that, of the howler. <laughs> one. 
I had no idea what they were. I was not expecting it. And it felt like they were coming through our tent if they were that loud. Yeah, it's an unbelievable experience when you hear them for the first time. I mean, I, talking about oh. it never actually does it justice. And, and how, how many miles away you can actually hear them on, you know, most days around the country. It's amazing. Yeah, and dependent, a friend of mine who studies, or, you know, I don't, he doesn't study animals particularly, but he knows a lot about Costa Rican wildlife, told me that they're, the way that the, the, the howling, the different, the different sounds they make mean different things, like rain is coming, time to get up, there's food here. Wow. It's a whole system of communication, so it's not just random and, uh, they're so small too compared to how much noise right. they can make. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, they're they're cute, I would say. Um Yeah. So uh so it describe San Jose. So that that's where you're based out of when you're in Costa Rica and you know San Jose being uh a rel- a pretty populous part of Costa Rica. Um I've only I mean I've flown in through there a couple times but only really spent one night there and didn't get to see a whole lot of it. So d- describe kind of San Jose and, and what um, the city sort of means to Costa Rica in general? So San Jose, Costa Rica is, is, is New York, LA and Chicago all thrown into one. <laughs> it is, you know, no matter where you live in the countryside or what city you live in, Generally, once a month, once every couple of months, you have to go to San Jose for something. Sure. Uh, so, you know, San Jose is a big city and, you know, I'm, I'm including the surrounding areas. We've probably got like 4 million people living here. No, 2 million people, I think, altogether. Wow. So it's small by American standards, but it's big by, you know, a population of 4 or 5 million. It's quite big. So, you know, I think my feeling is from seeing pictures of San Jose in the 50s is you had this very bucolic, beautiful little city that was perfectly laid out. Mm. And somewhere in the 60s, things sort of took off here in Costa Rica and there's just been rampant growth. So you have, and you see this a lot in Central and South America of cities, you know, that were once very small uh, that are now just these huge cities that have, I guess I, I don't want to speak poorly of it because it's, it's quite a nice city, but it's not a well-planned out city. You know, it just sort of grew how it grew. And so it has a lot of traffic problems. And it's, you know, it's probably the biggest issue is the traffic. They're building a new ring road to help alleviate some of that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, reality is, is, they need to. They need to. Um, they need to install a better system for for getting people around. Different sure. buses. You know, they've tried. They've tried to. Inst- there's a train that goes out to Cartago now, and um, so that helps for people who commute into the city. But uh, there's just a lot of traffic is probably the biggest downside. Mm-hmm. But the upside of San Jose is that it's at about 1,200 meters. The weather is always about 70, 80 degrees, <laughs> at least during the day. Yep. So it's like being in Hawaii. When you look up 
especially now, it's surrounded by these verdant, big, tall, green hills. And, you know, what we often do is we get out of San Jose and head to head out to the hills on the weekends, mm-hmm. which are 5, 10, 15 minutes away. Yeah. Uh, so it's very nice. Um, there, there are a few museums here to see. The nightlife is, is wonderful. The food is wonderful. These are all things that have improved tremendously since I first came here. Um, and, but, you know, the real place to go is to be out in the country, Puerto Viejo, anywhere you want to go in Costa Rica is just going to amaze you, right. to be honest. For sure. Yeah, yeah absolutely. It's, uh, it's just amazingly beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's one of the places that kind of like never leaves a, my mind. Like there's always some image or if I'm having a rough day, it's kind of typically a go-to is just to think back to, you know, time in Osar or time down in the Osa. And, uh, um, yeah. It, it just, it, it just calms me. It just has, you step off the, like I said, you step off the plane and you're instantly just, even with the hustle and bustle of San Jose, you just, everybody's smiling and, um, very yeah. friendly and helpful. So it, it really is just an, a, an amazing country. So uh, that's true. Absolutely right about all of that. Yeah. Well, people here are very nice and welcoming and yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, you, you go to some places around the world and people are hounding you, you know, trying to sell you something as soon as you touch down or, you know, trying to get something from you. And truly, in Costa Rica, you know, you walk out of the airport in San Jose and there's a mob of people. But and, but when somebody asks you, like, do you need help? Where are you going? It's not to put you into a taxi. It's legitimately just to kind of help you in, in, and make your make your time better. So it's it's definitely yeah. a, a unique population of people for sure. So now oh. describe to me where the um, – kind of where the farm is, a little bit of the history of the farm, and then, um, you know, also sort of your role as the facilitator to get the beans out into the world. Yeah. Um, so the, the, the farm is located about eight kilometers outside of a town called Turialba, which is, I'm looking at the map right now, what would that be? That would be east, probably due east of San Jose, give or take. And it's how just on the other side? How long? On the other side of the volcano. Okay. Oh, really? Yeah. So you have to go to Cartago, and then when you go to Cartago, you go east. And the whole time you're going on the side of the uh, first, you have the Irasu volcano, and then you have the Turialba volcano. Oh, wow! I didn't realize that. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, so there's amazing views, and you know it's 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 definitely a wild toad ride. I think that's what the, <laughs> to get there. You know, there's different ways to get there, and uh, Turialba is also the home of of a of an institute called Katie, which is the center. It's a it's a world renowned research university for um, tropical agriculture. So they, they study bees. They have one of the largest clonal banks of cacao trees, mm. which I've seen, which is really quite amazing when you see the variety of cacao trees that exist in the world. You know, there's tall ones, big ones, fat ones, little ones. I mean, the variety is unbelievable. <laughs> so um, 
I don't know how, I don't know if people can go see that. Uh, you know, I had to get a, I went because we know the guy who runs it. And, um, <clears throat> so basically about eight kilometers outside of Turialba on the old, in a town called Peralta, which is very small on the old train tracks that, so the old train tracks that used to be able to go to Limon on the train and so the train would come from Limon up to Siquires, and then it would go up towards Turialba, Cartago, and then up to San Jose. So it kind of work its way up that valley chain there. Mm -hmm. So basically what it is is when you get to Turialba, the weather is very different than it is here in San Jose. Much more tropical. You're getting the right amount of rain to have... Um, to grow cocoa beans because you know you needed like a meter, a meter and a half of rain per year to grow cocoa cocoa trees, mm -hmm. um, and you need very warm weather. You know more humid than you would get here. You know here up in the mountains it's kind of you know cold, which I know to those of you in North America right now seems like <laughs> a say. Right, but you know it's still quite cold comparatively to the temperatures that you'd find down in this area. But once again, it's on the, it's, it's, it's at the side of a volcano. So you can literally go up the volcano 10 minutes, no, maybe 20 minutes, and you'll be in a completely different microclimate. Mm. Wow. Much cooler, uh, rainier, you know, more rain, more fog, uh, but you're still, you know, you're still in the Caribbean in Peralta. So you're influenced by that sort of mm -hmm. weather that's there. So I met Wilfred, who's the owner of the farm, through uh, my wife's stepfather. He knew, he knows Wilfred's family. And the reason I got into cacao was because I read an art, I, when I moved to Costa Rica, <clears throat> I was looking for something to do that would involve the country because now I was going to get married here mm -hmm. or married to, to Pia. And uh, I was looking for a product that I could export from Costa Rica and hopefully help the country grow in a little bit and help the farmers involved. So we looked at flowers and I looked at different things, you know, Coffee's very developed, so they don't need any more help. <laughs> and I eventually landed on cocoa beans. And through a long series of people, I found Wilfred. And he has a farm. He has about a 90-hectare farm near Peralta that was, uh, you know, they were originally fern farmers. So they grew ferns at another farm that's nearby. Oh, wow. And uh, which they exported to Europe. And uh, they started this 90-hectare uh, cacao farm. And since Katia uh, is very close, it it was sort of a natural it was sort of a natural place to become one of the first farms that used the five varieties of Katia beans that were developed by them to be resistant to was it called in English witches broom and things like that. Okay, you know because cacao used to be very common in Costa Rica, then it got wiped out because of witch's broom and other things. And, uh, you know, then it kind of died off. And then Katia developed these five strains 
of that were that are resistant to the to the to the fungus and the diseases that are here, but also have a nice flavor profile, as you can attest to, and produce in you know, they're good producers of they have good yield. That's the word I'm looking for. So So Oh go ahead. Yeah. No, that's it. Go ahead. Okay, so just to um, back up for a second, so the work that Katia is doing, what? How does that differ from other sort of uh, maybe clones? Isn't necessarily the right word, but would it be? Would you call it maybe a hybrid C- cacao? Like so. So no, Katia created their own clone. Okay. From their clonal, and they created their own varieties from okay. the clonal blank. By cross by cross breeding uh, species, got it. Of, okay. Of so, um, and they, you know, they did all the. So, you have to they they bred them manually, or they fertilize them manually. So, you know, you don't get <clears throat> the problem with cacao is if you plant the seed, you're not going to get what was in the tree. Right. So yep. if you if you if you if you have a if you have a, a variety of cacao that you really like, if you take the seed from that from that tree and you plant it in the ground, it's gonna give you a different species, sort of like with humans. You know. Sure. Not a different species, but a different variety. And you know, two people meet, you get a different kid than the two parents. It's a mix of the parents. It doesn't reproduce itself, uh it doesn't make a clone of itself. So okay. the way you do, the way you, the way you breed or the way you duplicate trees is you, you cross pollinate them manually, then you grow them and then you determine which ones have the flavor profile and are, you know, are resistant to disease and things like that. And then those you take cuttings from the tree and you clone them onto rootstock. Okay. Okay, and that will give you a copy of the tree, of the of the tree. Okay, and then at the farm itself, describe a little bit about sort of the 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 growth cycle, the 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 life. You know what what is kind of paint the picture of the farm itself. Uh like all farms that you get to go visit in Costa Rica. They're just breathtaking. Yeah. <laughs> it's not like U.S. I was, that was going to be one of my questions was kind of comparing, like we, in the U.S., we certainly have a, a vision of what farming is. And that's, I think, relatively narrow-minded because I think farming in, in each country unto itself is very different one from the other. But certainly, um, you know, farming in Costa Rica, when, when we're driving around and you see farmers' fields of, cattle or it it's like something out of a of a postcard so so go ahead yeah um so the farm is so part of the farm is down by the the river the reventacion river so next to the river there's like an island that they call so they grow cacao down there and then it probably moves up an elevation three or four hundred feet i would say so they've got these hills that it's planted on the side of these hills, which work up to the top of the farm where they have the uh, fermenting station 
and you know the places where people live who live on the farm not everybody lives on the farm um and yeah it's just and it's right on the edge of this very tiny little town called Peralta which used to be a train stop on the train from uh, from the from the Caribbean up to San Jose but now it's just a tiny little town and it has a church and a bar and i think that's about it <laughs> makes perfect sense i don't even think they have i don't even think you can buy food there i think you got to take the bus to the next town okay but everybody who work everybody who lives in this town works on farms or has little farms of their own so you know a lot of people are very self sufficient you know a lot of the stuff they're eating they're buying either they're making themselves or they buy it locally you know they're making mm-hmm. so like they'll be making their own bread their own desserts their own cheese you know they'll probably be buying rice and beans uh they'll have their own chickens things like that so you know maybe once a week they'll probably go do shopping at the Santa Teresita which is maybe 20 minutes away but uh the rest of the time they're just working down on the farms and uh yeah and you know a cacao farm is is a sight to see because unlike 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 a farm that you would think of like in the midwest or in you know what we think of a farm at least how they grow the cacao in costa rica is it's basically a forest mm-hmm. so you know the farmers plant shade trees to provide shade for the cacao to grow under and then they have all the cacao trees that are in that are in rows and so you know you prune the cacao tree so they'll get too tall but it's a very rich lush environment full of birds uh hopefully not too many squirrels cuz they'll eat all the cocoa beans but like uh we've seen I, they've sent me pictures of boa constrictors I'm, I'm looking at that right now <laughs> one of your pictures yeah. on your Instagram account of this boa constrictor stretching down basically the whole tree <laughs> yeah and those are those are the kind of animals you want on the farm because they keep the the mice and the uh the squirrels under control mm, okay so um you know and it's just this for anybody who's i don't know the first time i saw a real cacao tree i was just in love because yeah, the pods really cool. are these unique colors of orange and red and green and, and yeah it's just an amazing experience to be honest with you yeah yeah it, yeah you it really is i mean they're 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 unlike any tree that you'll see i mean it it really is a a really cool thing um yeah are, are there yeah, are there any other crops that are farmed at, you know at this you know farm or is it just primarily cacao it's just cacao and obviously the trees they're growing they're growing white cedar which eventually they'll harvest for the wood mm. in 20 years i think oh wow okay and what is the so the I'm not exactly sure what the right word here would be but as far as kind of 
feeding the trees or you know fertilizer or anything like that is is there much of a program there for that i mean given that it's in the wild and presumably in super rich volcanic soil i would think that that yeah. that aids in the you know the growth and and certainly ultimately the flavor when it gets to you know the the maker and and user side but um how does that all work on the farm so um you know they so the, there's they do fertilize um obviously if we fertilize it produces it gives us a higher it gives us a bigger crop mm -hmm. but you have to be careful with cacao trees to not give them too much sunlight and not to overfeed them because then they'll basically overproduce and they won't be able to produce for the next year okay you know what i mean sure and uh that's gonna be really you know you gotta kind of uh you gotta be careful with that kind of you gotta be careful with that aspect of it um but there is a fertilization program that they do i don't know exactly how it works mm -hmm. or when it works um but you know basically there are two seasons when we collect the, the cacao pods one in uh one is just finishing now and then the other one will be in june starting june okay so these are the two seasons when you have the cacao pods now similar to um the the west coast of costa rica where they sort of go through a a dry season or a far less wet season let's say the given that the farm is more on the Caribbean side of the country. And as you said before, there's uh, more consistent rainfall. Yeah. Does that affect the fermentation and, and certainly the drying process when the, after the cacao is harvested? Yeah, we have to be very careful. Not so much. The, I haven't seen it really affect the fermentation, but it's definitely the drying. So, you know, we dry the cocoa beans in a covered drying tent. I don't know what you would call them, like little, like plastic greenhouses. Okay. Uh, and they're all dried on tables. And sometimes we'll put uh, fans in there to help circulate the air. Mm. But, and with, and they also have closed doors. So, it's, you know, we don't want, we don't want animals going in there and picking through the, the cacao, basically. Um, which happens in some countries where they just dry them on the ground. Uh, sure. So, we produce, we ferment, and then we put them in these long drying uh, rooms where they will dry, where they'll finish off the fermentation process and then they'll dry. But yes, in the rainy season, when we've got less, when we've got less uh, sun, we, we have to turn them over more often and move them around more often so that they don't get uh, mold, mold doesn't develop on them. Right. I know, uh, I think cocoa beans and probably coffee to a certain extent are two plants that are extremely unique in so many ways. But I think one of the biggest ways is that in order to get an end product that people want to eat, it's a lot more complex with many more steps than just growing something on a tree, pulling it off and putting it into a bushel. And a lot of what I think goes unseen or unheard is the work that's done by the by the the family the the group at the farm level and to 
really treat the cacao with care and love and, um, you know, uh, a level of um, perfection, I guess, to a certain extent, so that, you know, whether it be a month or a year or however long it takes for it to get to somebody like myself, it it's ready, you know, it, it's ready to kind of develop and find its, you know, the rest of its ultimate story that it wants to tell as far as flavor and, um, you know, sweetness, taste, all of that. So I think the work you guys do there um, is top notch and they're beans that every time I roast them, there's a slightly different narrative that comes out. And it's always very uh-huh. interesting to me to see the the differences that can happen. And, and the Costa Rican beans in my case are ones that I play around with quite a bit as far as roast goes, just because slight changes in different aspects of the roast can, you know, um, accentuate or minimize different flavor notes or um, add some level of, of, dryness or nuttiness whatever it might be but the reason I can I do that is because they are such beautiful beans when they get to me and um, you know it's clear that a lot of care and effort is taken at the farm level so you guys are doing a great job there oh thanks yeah it it is uh, it took us a long time to narrow down our uh, fermentation profile or you know process because you can easily you know, it can become more acidic or not, you know, you can either under, it's very easy to under ferment or over ferment. Mm-hmm. And then it's very important. The drying process is you just don't put them out there and let them dry. Right. You know, you got to put them in little piles for so many days. And so part of the process that I went through was at least at the beginning is I spent a lot of time at the farm taking them samples of chocolate of what people had made with our beans so that they could taste it. I also taught them about how to taste the beans, you know, there at the farm Mm -hmm. so they could tell, you know, the dried beans, if it was good, if it was bad. I learned that from, uh, I learned that from Carla uh, Martin. There's that cocoa grater course that she offers. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I couldn't do your job, but I can do everything (laughs) before that. Well, thank goodness you do, because I couldn't go out and do a forest and see a boa constrictor. So, um, ah. so it, we we all know our specialties, I guess, and it all works uh, harmoniously from start to finish. So, that's true. Uh, well, I just to kind of wrap this up, I I really appreciate your time. Um, you know, you're the you're the first of the makers that I or the farmers that I work with that. Uh, I want to highlight. So, um, you know, I really appreciate it. And sharing the story of Costa Rica and uh, Hacienda Azul and all of that. And, um, you know, please tell everybody that's that's working day to day on the ground there that we truly appreciate the work they do. And as makers, I know that we all try to do the best that we can to um, represent their high level of skill and craftsmanship. So, um, you know, thank you for everything you do. Thank you. I really appreciate I really appreciate everything you do too. We're all very thankful down here. Yeah. Well, great. Well, thank you, Eric, and we'll catch up with you soon. All right. Appreciate it. Be well. You too.
Thank you again to Eric Charvel from Buena Nota Imports. It was a pleasure talking with him, and I always could sit and talk about Costa Rica for hours and hours. So again, as always, a big thank you to Soul Rising for the use of his song, The Journey, for our intro and outro. You can find the podcast on iTunes and Spotify, as well as on our website, nostalgiachocolates.com, where you can find our whole lineup of chocolate and other goodies, as well as podcast blogs and all of that. So thank you very much. I appreciate your time. And you can follow Buena Nota Imports on Instagram if you're on social media at Buena Nota Imports. And you can see pictures that they have there and uh, learn more about cacao. So thank you very much. See you next time.